Welcome. Thank you for calling. Please leave a message. Welcome. What Black History Month means to me? It means honor, perseverance. It means my Black is beautiful. It means I am important. It means all to me. As my forefathers has come before me, my mother, my father, my grandparents, all the Army veterans that I've been established around that look like me, dress like me, act like me. We are the past, the present, the future. We are the culture. And it means 100% everything to me. Oh, it's the chaplain of all chaplains. What's going on? How are you? I'm good. And yourself? I'm doing well. Can't complain. Hold on to your hat. It's about to get to be a wild ride. Let's get after it. Okay? Uh, my story begins uh, in a bedroom uh, at 10 years old, being molested by a family friend. So after the molestation, uh, my life obviously uh, went into a tailspin. I was in special education in the eighth grade, failed the ninth grade, failed the 12th grade, and didn't graduate from high school. I had to walk, uh, didn't get to walk with my class. I uh, got to go to college because I had this big body. I'm 6'5", 275, got to go to college to play ball, but I was still dealing with the molestation. So I was fighting every day. I was drinking myself to sleep. I was bullying people. Uh, and then people got tired of me bullying them, and I found myself uh, shot in the back, beat with a shovel, and left on the street for dead. I was airlifted out to the medical center where I almost lost my life. After I got out of the medical center, you would have thought that uh, I would have came to my senses, but I didn't. I went back to look for the young man uh, and uh, end up fighting him and hurting him real bad, and I went to jail. I spent some time in jail. After I got out of jail, I went back to Louisiana where I worked as a cashier slash janitor. At that time, uh, my uh, girlfriend uh, was pregnant, and I decided that I needed to do something with my life. So I wanted to join the. I decided to join the military. Well, that was a great idea, but it wasn't the end of the story there. Uh, because I was still dealing with the molestation, because I was still dealing with a lot of anger issues. I had two articles. By the time the first year was out, I had two Article 15s, chapter paperwork in hand. Uh, I was about an hour away from suicide, had already had a plan, uh, and then uh, the Sergeant Major came to talk to me on extra duty, uh, and he told me, he said, son, I believe in you. And uh, I believe that you can be something in life. I, I respected him, uh, and I allowed him to mentor me. So this about six months into that mentorship process, I was in the field, just made the conversion to Islam, changed my name. And, of course, 
I wasn't aware of all the ramifications of what being a Muslim was. I just found an identity uh, that I could better myself. So the unit was discriminating against me, wouldn't let me go to Friday service. People making snide comments like I've joined on to the enemy. So I was in the field and I was crying. And I can tell you off in the distance, I saw the, the chaplain, he, you know, he had this candy basket going around jolly and talking to everybody. And I said, if there is a God, if you are up there, please don't let the chaplain come and talk to me. I have, I have no desire to talk to the chaplain. And as God would have it, the chaplain came over and talked to me and he ministered to me for an hour. After that hour, he said, oh my God, you are extremely intelligent. Why did you become a chaplain? I said, oh, my God. It was like the lights from heaven had shined on me for the first time in my life. It was instantly that I knew that that was my destination. I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I, I, I knew that that's what I was supposed to do. I didn't have the education. I didn't have the GT score. But I knew whatever I had to do, I was going to uh, turn my life around and become a chaplain. I failed the ASVAB four times before I made a 110. Uh, and then once I made a 110, I applied to the chaplain school, uh, to the chaplain's corps. And I got picked up to be a United States Army chaplain. Woo! Isn't that phenomenal? That is amazing. And when you said you had a story to tell me, I mean, it's all you already packed it up with some stuff. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. You did. I mean, that's a lot right there. Um, and you know, I think that's I think that's amazing because with all that you just shared, I think you know, I think experience is such a great teacher, and I also think that. Uh, many officers who were enlisted prior to becoming an officer uh, end up being the best officers. So putting those two things together, your experiences prior to coming into the military, then enlisting into the military as an enlisted soldier with a combat MOS, and then becoming a chaplain, I think Putting all of that together, you can minister and reach to soldiers like nobody else can. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can I can meet the soldier not only on the experience level, but at the trauma level, which is really important uh, because most soldiers, not all, most soldiers are coming in the military to find some discipline, to find a economic stability, and most of us are dysfunctional. I say most, that's just a generalization. I don't want anybody to go crazy. But, you know, most of us are, are souls that are searching, just like people in the world. And so when soldiers come, no matter what my rank was, soldiers identify with me because I tell them that story that I told you. Right, 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 in, right off the inception, I let them know. Well, yes, I do have some rank. Yes, I worked really hard to obtain this rank and had some mercy from God. I am you. So I meet soldiers where they are, and they identify with me very quickly. And that's why the young Staff Sergeant First Class said the chaplain of chaplains, because 
You know, I, I'm not a person who looks at you with a jaundice eye. I look at you and I see myself. And so I'm always willing to help no matter what your circumstance. So with that, the question, you know, that I think as if you experience, did not experience enough already, you become a chaplain. And, and like the comment that you said that you heard from people, I'm sure that you've heard, you know, many more of people saying things like, well, you converted to Islam, so now who do you stand for, Islam or the United States Army? Yes. What's up with that? And I'm, and, and I'm sure with comments like that, um, there was a lot of persecution, and, and, and not only a lot of persecution, but I would imagine that that would uh, be something that would spur you on in faith. Is, is that a fair Absolutely. statement to make? Absolutely. Uh, when I came, I was so excited to come to the Chaplain's Corps. I passed all my classes. I was getting ready to go back to active duty, young captain, and I couldn't sleep the night before. Press, back then, we pressed our BDU uniform. I had my boots shine. You know, I put some mop and glow on them. I cheated a little bit, so my boots, boots <laughs> really shine. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I go in yes, to the commander's Yes, I remember office. those days, and you should... Yes, and I go into the commander's office, and I reach out my hand. I say, hey, sir, I'm Chaplain Shabazz, motivated as I am. And he wouldn't shake my hand. And he says, I'm sure you're a nice guy, but we got some problems with your religion and how you guys treat women. Have a nice day. He didn't talk to me for nine months. But, you know, I didn't care because I was in my purpose. I was in my destiny. Yes, I was hurt, but I went out and did my job. I went and took care of the soldiers, you know, and that's my whole mission in life. I get a lot of discrimination. I get a lot of snide comments, even as a colonel. I get a lot of that stuff. But, you know, one of, one of the quotes that I use is when people are being prejudiced against you, they're not being prejudiced against you. They're showing their own prejudice, right? And so I take it as a compliment because I'm doing something that most people don't have the courage to do. I'm going against the status quo, and I'm I'm affecting people's lives. I won't let people put me in a box. Uh, absolutely. And when you so as a as a, a sergeant, or as, I think you were a sergeant uh, yes. when you were enlisted. How um how as an enlisted soldier. As you are uh, exploring your new faith, uh, and I say exploring, maybe I, I shouldn't say exploring, but walking in your new faith, how did that impact your your relationships with your peers? Did you lose some of those relationships because of your new faith? Uh, uh, not not to be <laughs> uh, to be too uh, hyperbolic. <laughs> Not to use it a lot of hyperbole, but I lost all of my relationships. People were terrified. You know, people were calling me all kind of names. They didn't know what I believed. There's so much uh, misinformation out there. But, but, you know, that's one of the things that helped me. So I decided because all of my so-called friends left me uh, and started treating me bad, it was time for me to go into the dungeon. It was time for me to go in the basement. It was time for me to rebuild my life, right? I, I needed to get away from the anger. I needed to get away from being ignorant. I needed to become an educated person so I could be able to better withstand that type of pressure. 
So to date, I've been in school for 25 straight years, rebuilding my life, because I spent the first 30 years as an ignoramus. So I have two doctorate degrees and four master's degrees, and I just graduated War College, which is another equivalent master's degree. So it has taught me to be resilient. It has taught me that people need education, and I can give them that education by walking in my integrity and values and helping out all people, not just the people who think like me or look like me. And in that, uh, with that, I think you're right that being in your position now, you're, you are most definitely able to educate people. And so the question that I would ask with that is if I was, if I was one of your soldiers in your unit and I'm just curious, what are some, and, and I genuinely am asking this out of my own curiosity too. What is it that are some misconceptions uh, about your faith that uh, people just automatically assume and they assume it out of ignorance? Uh, the first thing that I hear all the time, and people, I don't think people are being malicious. They're asking, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there on that. Uh, and, it, and it's really, uh, in a way, even though I know they're not being malicious, uh, it's, it's insulting uh, because I've been in the military my whole adult life, and I have two children that have served. But I answer the question because I know it's not malicious. Um, a a Muslim is just like anybody else. Uh, the Quran talks about obeying those people in authority. It didn't say obey Muslims in authority, and we have no more allegiance to anybody else than uh, a Christian would. A Christian uh, has allegiance to God and allegiance to the country. We also have allegiance to God and allegiance to the country. Uh, we don't have an allegiance to a land. I think people misconstrue that. I don't have an allegiance to a land. I got an allegiance to God. And so within that, uh, I can be patriotic. Any other Muslim can be patriotic. Uh, second of all, people have a real misconception about women in Islam. Uh, it, uh, just a cursory grant, glance of the Quran, you know, you would think a woman wrote the Quran with all the mercy and love uh, and all the rights for, that women had 1,400 years ago uh, before the Women's Suffrage Act, you know, but what people see on TV and what people hear on TV is what they go by. So people have broad misconceptions of that. I just gave a lecture about a week ago about, about uh, Muslims, uh, how we see Jesus, right? Very well-viewed uh, lecture. And interestingly enough, uh, Muslims believe the same as Christians as Jesus was born with a virgin birth. We believe that he is the word of God. We believe that uh, he, he performed more miracles in the Quran than any other prophet. He raised the dead. He made the blind see. Uh, and it's interesting. Uh, one of my friends said, oh, my God, I can't believe you, what you just said. Jesus, we, we also as Muslims believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit came down to give Jesus uh, strength uh, in his times of misgiving and his times of mis uh, weakness. So those are some things. Those are just three things that I hear quite constantly. And, you know, I love what you said, too, about um about you know being loyal and committed to God as well as the leadership appointed over you, and 
you know, that's one thing that I think even people who are Christians um, seem to misunderstand or misrepresent is that uh, they may say, well, you're not a Christian, therefore I don't have to do, you know, what you said, or you're not my master or whatever the case may be, whatever term they use. But, it, you know, like you said, both as a Christian and as a Muslim, it does not say you only obey authority appointed over you if they believe the same thing. That's right. It says be obedient to the authority appointed over you. Period. Yes. End of sentence. Period. So Period. if I'm assigned to a unit, uh, see, I'm with you. I'm with, I, I kid you not. <laughs> and I, and I, by no means, like, like you said, I'm not, when I ask you those questions, I, I ask you out of my own ignorance of not knowing, because I think that people who have different beliefs and different uh, stances on things, if we could just be adults and sit down and just talk about it and ask questions like, why do you believe this? Why do you believe that? And it not be a means of attack, but sometimes too many people enter into a conversation on the attack and don't yeah. want to hear what the other person has to say. Yes. And, and that's not what it's about. Yeah, it's called confirmation bias. Uh, people enter in conversations uh, with a malice intent to confirm the biases they already have, and they are not correct. I remember uh, this guy, he just wanted to argue and debate religion with me, uh, and I told him, I said, listen, man, I don't debate religion. You know, God is sufficient. And he said, well, you don't want to debate religion because you can't back up the 72 virgins dying and being a martyr for the 72 virgins. You know, and one of the things I told him, I said, you know, you are a leader. And if you're spreading misinformation like that, you should be stripped of your position. I dare you to find anywhere in the Quran where it talks about when a Muslim dies, he gets 72 virgins. I told him, if you find it. I will resign my commission today. I said, that's a challenge to you, First Sergeant. And if you don't find it, you don't have to apologize to me. Why don't you apologize to your God?
absolutely. You know, I'm right now I'm in college and I'm taking one of the classes that I'm taking is multicultural issues and human services. And what one I think it was last week or the week prior we were talking about that uh, unconscious bias or that the implicit bias that we have towards any demographic of a person that is not like myself. And yep. we I think we don't realize that we have that or that we exercise that. I think we really do need to step back and look at ourselves and ask ourselves, why do I feel this way? Why do I have this stance on this particular issue? And is it credible? And if it's not, then I need to change. And I need to change my stance on a particular issue because of whatever credible evidence or you know information that there is. But That's instead, right. we go into those conversations and we're just quick to judge. Well, it's, it's unfortunate. It's, yeah, it's unfortunate because we've been, we've been grown up in our, our myopic vision and we get that sometimes from our families and our friends and our cousins. I remember my, I was going to college and, uh, this is provocative, but, you know, one of my cousins, uh, said if she can't use my comb, don't bring her home. Right? I'm going to say that again. And she said, if she can't use my comb, don't bring her home. She didn't tell me to go and study hard. She didn't tell me to come back and be a decent human being. She didn't tell me to go and do whatever I needed to do to survive. She and her implicit bias and bad attitude, I would almost ponder to say racist attitude, was telling me not to bring somebody home from another ethnicity. You know, what, what, what a heavy burden to put on a young man at 17, 18 years old who's already struggling with life. And if he just happens to find love from a person from a different ethnicity, the pressure won't allow him to bring her home because in the South, my cousin said, if she can't use my comb, don't bring her home. You see, so... That's some things that we get from our culture. We have we have to be courageous enough to be able to think for ourselves and expel those cultural myths. So how do we do that? I think it takes courage. Uh, it takes courage. It takes being bold. It takes being educated. One of the problems I have in particular, and I talk about it all the time, and I'm sure my wonderful chaplains for we don't like it, but I, I think it's important that we be honest with each other. I have been in a chaplain's corps for 20 years, which means I've had over 10 or 15 supervisors who have not looked like me. Obviously, they don't have the same faith. I have never been invited to any of my supervisors' home. I didn't say we can go out to lunch somewhere sometimes with a group. But if I had a guy or gal who was different than everybody else, seemingly, I would bring I would bring them in my home for a sense of uh solace and to say to them, bring your family in. We have some probably some cultural differences, but I want you to know that you're safe here. I've never gotten that to this day. I don't have a mentor in the chaplain's corps to this day. 
that is an indictment on how people think and how afraid we are to be able to speak into somebody's life that's different than us. See, and that's, you know, that's one of the things that when I, when I initially was uh, contacting you about, about coming onto the podcast, one of the things that I was uh, talking about doing was having an episode uh, reflecting on the four chaplains from the Dorchester and those, you know, they, those four chaplains did the opposite of what you're talking about. It happens in the chaplain yes. now. Those four chaplains were four different faiths. And those four chaplains of four different faiths, when their life was literally on the line, came yes. together and didn't push each other away because they were different. But for some yes. reason, we yeah. are so, the very people that you think are going to come together and say, hey, look, you might be of a different ethnicity, you might be of a different faith, a different gender, but you know what? We both believe that there is a a power higher than ourselves, and we both believe that I am supposed to love you as a person despite our differences, and I'm supposed to celebrate our differences instead of use, using them as a wall to put up between us. Well, I, I agree, but you have to have courage to do that. and. It doesn't matter your faith. It doesn't matter what you believe. If you don't have courage uh, to step outside of that comfort zone, you'll just start falling into cultural behaviors. You need courage to love your neighbor because the Bible or the Quran didn't say your neighbor was going to look like you, talk like you, think like you, or be of the same demographic you are. And so when God says in both books to love your neighbor, that is that is a, that is an admonishment to be able to be courageous to go and knock on the person's door or, or look at your person who is not like you and try to strike up a relationship. Maybe the relationship will fail, but if you don't even give it a try because you're afraid, to me you're dishonoring what you say you believe. Why have we never met before? <laughs> <laughs> um. It's just uh, I like you, man. We we I I bet I bet too, too bad <laughs> I'm not you. in Sumter right now because if I were in Sumter I'd be saying, all right, man, look, I'm gonna come to your house and knock on your door and say, hey, neighbor. <laughs> yeah, that's right, absolutely, and that's how that's how it should be. Honestly. So yes, yeah, absolutely. I I totally agree. There's you know when I lived in Germany, um. That's one of the things that I did notice within the community in which I was. And that is that if you had a need, I could go knock on my neighbor's door and say, hey, you know, I I, you, I, I have a need. Yes. And to the best of their ability, they would meet that need. And if uh, if they couldn't, then they'd go knock on the neighbor's door and say, hey, do you have any bread? Because yes. Tiffany over here needs some bread. That's right. And, that's, I, and I would be able to go back home and have some bread. Yeah, that's community. That's courage. That's saying to the person next door, I trust you enough to allow you to help me, right? We're, we're living in a time where trust is at an all-time high. We live in our houses. We don't even have to talk to the neighbor. We can click our remote and go into the garage, close the garage, and go into our door. Uh, we have become safe. Uh, because there's so much stuff in the world, which I believe stuff has always happened in the world, but now we can see it through TV, videos, and the Internet. 
And so when you see a person, let's just say if you see Shabazz, and I'm not a little fella, you know, and I'm a Muslim, and I'm an African-American, and I'm 6'5", 275 pounds. So all of these stereotypes come into your head. And I have had people tell me uh, inside conversations, um, high-ranking people, to tell me I, I, I have to work. I'm, well, I had not been in the command. They, they emailed me later, and they would apologize and say, I saw the work you were doing. I saw the effect you have on people, but I wasn't there yet. I want to offer my apology. I hope one day we can sit down and break bread, right? And so people, to me, in that time, when they hold these positions, they hold this status, the, the society tells them, okay, be safe, don't reach out, don't associate, because if you associate, somebody's going to think that you have some empathy for that person of that group, and then you may lose your status in life. I think I think that's cowardice. I think it's disingenuous, and I think it's not well uh, looked upon as a leader. Uh, a leader's got to be beyond that. We got to be transformative. Transformative. And let me tell you a story because I think it's important. I was at Joint Base Lewis McCord, and I was just getting ready to become the first Muslim division chaplain in the United States military history. Well, if you go back and read the sites, right, people were talking about, let me find out where he is. I'm going to shoot him in the pulpit. You know, he's a demon. You know, he's going to just try to convert Christians to Islam. At the same time, there were two young ladies on post who were married. They couldn't find anybody to counsel them. And so one of the sergeant majors who knew me very well, he said, I know somebody that will counsel you. So he, he brings them in. I counsel them. They had a great time. We hugged. We laughed. We cried. Think about the intersectionality there. You got a Muslim chaplain, right, who is supposed to be, you know, so rigid, such a derogatory view of women, let alone people who decide to practice uh, same-sex marriage. We're in a room, we're talking, we're hugging, and I help them through life. The people who became the biggest supporters in fighting those people online were, were those two ladies who I counseled. Two ladies in a same-sex marriage were, was defending a Muslim who was supposed to hate people. Isn't that amazing? Especially women. <laughs> yes. I mean, exactly. it, because of that exactly. misconception of saying, "Oh, he's Muslim, so he, you know, he he doesn't like women," and there you are proving them to be wrong. That's right. Absolutely. So absolutely. I, Go ahead. Well, I, I mean, I was going to ask you a question on something completely different. Um, you started off by sharing a lot of personal stuff that happened prior to coming into the military and the first bit of being in the military. Yes. Now that you're, you know, you've been in for, for 20, uh, 20 plus years and uh, you are a chaplain. What, what have you done for your, for yourself as far as uh, healing and recovering from, from those things that happened in the past? 
Well, honestly, for me, talking about those things healed me. Uh, because on the back end of talking about those things, not only are they therapeutic, it's amazing when young men and women uh, inbox me, email me, call me, or if I see them in person, they run up to me with tears in their eyes and say, Chaplain, you saved my life, right? Thank you for being so transparent. I remember in my promotion to Colonel here, and I was telling the same story that I tell you, I told you. I get back to the office. Master Sergeant comes into my office, closed the door, African-American male, you know, bawling his eyes out. He said, who are you? I said, what are you talking about? He said, we don't do that. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you shared your life of molestation and trauma in a promotion ceremony. Who does that? He said, man, you have just freed me from 36 years of trauma. Oh, man, that, that said chills up my spine, right? You give people permission yeah. to heal, giving people permission to heal, healing myself. And you know what? I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, 110%. And when people ask why I do this podcast, and I tell them that the audience that this is geared to is the same people who are on it, and that's veterans. And, well, how can that be? Because you know what? There are so many veterans who need a platform to share their story. And as they share their story, there's that healing. And as they share that story, there's somebody out there listening who is also a veteran who needed to hear that story. Yes. Absolutely. So I, I I completely agree with you. There is so much power in being able to share your story of this is where I've been. This is where I came from. This is where I am now. And uh, it wasn't easy, but I'm here on the other side of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it frees people. It gives them the courage to fight through uh, what they consider their improprieties or inconsistencies. You know, even the story I was I was telling it yesterday on a podcast of me taking five times selling the ASVAB before I became an officer, and I was speaking to about three hundred enlisted folks, um, and they uh, they they enjoyed the authenticity, and many of them inboxed me and said, "Oh my God, you know, I wanted to be an officer, but I had an eighty nine GT school. I didn't have the courage to go to BSEP." What did you do? How did you do it? Is it still a chance for me? Right? It's, it's sharing those stories that frees people to be confident in their inconsistencies and be able to move on with their lives. Well, see, what happened was, um, yes, <laughs> I agree with you. I, yeah. I really do. I, yeah. I, and I love it. Um, man, I really do wish I met you earlier. <laughs> I, I, I've been so close to where you are, and I'm just now meeting you. <laughs> <laughs> My grandmother says, truth out of season don't bring no harvest. So our time is now. <laughs> yes, and here we are. 
Yeah, absolutely. I you know, I love it. Um I really do. I there's there really is something so special and powerful about being authentic, being transparent. It doesn't mean I'm gonna tell everybody everything about my life, but when I do interact with people, if I can be genuine and authentic and real, um that's going to open the door for some powerful relationships. One of the things that I've also seen too is in doing that, I had to tell myself, um, you know what? When I realized I needed to quit living with a wall that was 10 feet high and 10 feet out is that, um, I'm going to take this wall down. And in my doing that, I'm going to get hurt, but I need to take it down. So I can also have those those good valuable relationships come in, and you know what? It's I I have found that that is that statement. My intent is very true. It has happened. I have been hurt and I have been let down, but the the precious valuable friendships and relationships that have developed because That's of me right. taking that wall down have made those times that I've gotten hurt well worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Because if I didn't take the wall down, I would not have had those good moments. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that is the challenge in life to be confident and have courage enough to take those walls down, walls down knowing that you're going to get hurt. Uh, and it's okay because, you know, you grow from your pain and always running from your pain. You actually never really grow. And so the interactions with human beings who are also dysfunction, dysfunctional, you know, you're going to have some pain, you know. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're going to find out who are good for you and who are, who are bad for you. There's, a, there's an old saying that you'll never become an eagle hanging out with chickens, right? Well, you don't know who's a ch- okay. an eagle until you hang out with them, right? Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, my goodness. So here's here's a here's a, a question for you that maybe we can close out on, and, and, and that is this. Knowing that the projected audience that's going to be listening to us what you know being veterans and service members and spouses and family what what is uh what is that message of hope that you would give them if, if you were talking to them one-on-one what is that what is that that you would what is, what is your message to them yeah I, I would tell them hope is not a plan i would tell them put your hope in god but move your feet the Bible says faith without works is dead. The Quran says mere belief counts, it, uh, uh, counts for nothing unless put into practice. If we're going to be the community, we have, I have a saying, be the change you want to see. I don't need to change the world, but I can tell you my neighbor next door knows who the heck I am. My neighbor across the hall knows who the heck I am because if they need me, I don't care what time of night it is. They can contact me and I will get out of my bed and do whatever I need for them. I don't, I don't care what they believe. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what their sexuality is. The bottom line is we'll never be what we're supposed to be if we don't change our relationship towards each other. If love is, is, is an action verb, right? You gotta, you, you have to be doing something. It's not a now where you're just sitting back and, not doing something. So I, I just live in the moment. I live in the present. Uh, and I want to be the change that I want to see. So those people who are in my sphere of influence, 
I treat them like gold and with dignity and respect. Did I tell you I wanted to, to be like you were? <laughs> Man, look, I'm going to tell you what. You you remind me of the first chaplain that I ever worked with. When I was at Fort Sill, um, especially when you were talking about your everything. This man, uh, it was a uh, chaplain, Lonnie Williams, um, six foot eight for the Detroit Lions, I think, for one or two seasons, and then mm. you have me. This he was, a, I think, he said he was a wide receiver when he played for them, and then you have this short five, you know, white five foot nothing girl. That's as skinny yes. as it, not now, but I, when I worked with him, I was nothing but a toothpick. <laughs> and people would make fun of us when we would go places to visit. Because we, we had gone and one of the drill sergeants in the area, he said, wait, what do you do as a chaplain assistant? So we were telling him, and he said, hold on a second, private, stand in front of your chaplain. So I stood in front of the chaplain and he said, let's see, you know, if you had a Kevlar on that head of yours and I were to shoot at your chaplain and you're supposed to be a bodyguard, if I aim for your head and I just go up a little bit, I'm still going to hit him in the heart. You can't protect that chaplain. You're too small. <laughs> yes, that's but, right. You know, we, had, we had good times. Yeah, I had a, had a young lady just like you. Her name is Jessica Cabello. I have to send you a picture. Me, this big hawking guy, her a little five one white girl. And she came in. She's a staunch Catholic. She said she was scared to death of me, but I tell you, we are still friends today, and our families are friends. I met her parents. Uh, we just have the best relationship because it was through, that's what I like about the chaplains for in the Army. We were we were able to work side by side, and she got rid of some of those myths, and she just saw the person uh, as opposed to the religion. You know, we got so close, her mother used to say, uh, Merry Muslim Christmas. <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> oh man. Yes. I tell you what. Yeah, and that's the, that's the thing too. So I, you know, I I grew up in, uh, like you, I grew up in a Lutheran church and it was very much a um traditional very traditional high church Lutheran um you know, sit down, stand up, kneel, pray, sit down, you know, 59 minutes, 59 seconds, church is over, you got your check in the block and you're done. Yes. Um, and that, that little girl goes and, and gets to her first duty station. And I worked with the church of God in Christ, Pentecostal to the T. And I just thought, man, I don't understand you, but you know what I had to do? I also realized I didn't understand myself and <laughs> what it was that I believed either. That's right. So, right. you know, it just, it's amazing when we can actually step back and look at ourselves and um, we want to so quickly point our finger at somebody else instead of letting it, letting, putting ourselves in check first. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. But what do I know? You know a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Have a nice day.